Christmas? All right. No last-minute shopping still, I hope. It is hard to believe that we have only one week left in 2017. Did this year fly by or what? At some, at some points, it probably didn't fly by. It was a bit of a roller coaster of a year, but uh, God has been good through it all, hasn't He? And some highs and some lows, but He's seen us through. As uh, most of you know, who've been a part of our church for a while, uh, this year we had a challenge before us. Uh, we called it Bible 365, and so a number of us took the challenge early in 2017 to read through the whole Bible uh, during the year. We had these blue uh, little reading guides in the lobby all year long, and uh, then we gave a challenge here several months ago. Maybe you didn't read the Old Testament with us in the, fi- in the first nine months of the year, but we challenged everyone to read the New Testament in the final three months of the year. So others jumped on and took that challenge. So I want to say as we've got one week uh, left in this year, if you've been reading through the whole Bible with us this year, or at least reading through the New Testament with us these last three months, I just want to say great job to you because when you've been reading God's Word, you've been doing one of the most important things that we could ever do to get to know God better, to get to know Christ better, and to learn His plan for our life. Amen? And so what we're going to do, some of you I know didn't take the challenge this year and maybe you're thinking about doing so in 2018, so we'll leave these out in the lobby over the next month or so. So if you didn't take the challenge this year but would like to do so in 2018, uh, we encourage you to be in God's Word every single day and have some sort of reading plan that allows you to work your way through His Word in a timely manner. Well, I am excited to announce to you for the first time what's going on at the first of uh, the new year, 2018. I'll be launching in two weeks, two weeks from today, a brand new message series on prayer that I'm pretty excited about. It's simply called The Prayer Series. And we're going to be spending the opening weeks of 2018 on the heels of studying God's Word this year, focusing on prayer, because we all know, don't we, that our prayer lives can get a little stale, right? We all know that our prayers sometimes feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling, and sometimes we feel like we're just not being enriched in our prayer lives. And so as we dive into God's Word and look at some of the greatest prayers in Scripture and look over the past 2,000 years and see some examples of prayer warriors that have much to teach us, we're going to see how we can have prayer lives that are more interesting, more engaging, and have more results after we pray. Amen? And so don't miss that new series coming up starting in two weeks. It will start on Sunday, January 7th, the prayer series right here at FCC. Well, I hope that you've been blessed by our series this month. This month we've been doing a Christmas series uh, called Simply Christmas. We've been making our way through the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, seeing what each has to teach us about that first Christmas when Jesus came. And so we've seen that Matthew had that unique perspective, writing to a Jewish audience, he made it clear that Jesus was not only the son of Abraham, and he was also the son of David, and he listed that genealogy right there in chapter 1. He also mentioned that uh, Jesus came as Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then we looked at Mark a couple weeks ago, and, and Mark mentioned that Jesus isn't simply the son of Abraham and the son of David. Mark made it clear from the get-go, Jesus is also the very son of God. Mark had that unique perspective that's something we needed to learn about Christmas and about Christ's coming. Last week, one of my favorites, we looked at the Gospel of Luke, chapters 1 and 2, and Luke shared who Jesus came to save. And we were encouraged that Jesus didn't just come for the nobodies. He came for the worst of the nobodies, didn't He? 
Jesus came for the old and washed up. And Jesus came for the young and unimportant. And Jesus came for the dirty and despised. And so that gives me hope that Jesus came for me too. Amen? Jesus came not for the great, wealthy, well-known, popular, famous people. He came for those who were cast aside and desperately needed a Savior. He came for you and me. And so today, we get to the fourth and final Gospel account, the Gospel according to John. So I encourage you to have your Bibles handy. Open to John chapter 1. That's the fourth book in your New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you today, grab one of those blue ones from the rack. Also, as always, uh, we try to have message notes in the bulletin for you. I encourage you to pull those out along with a pen or pencil so you can jot down some notes and fill in some blanks as we study God's Word today together. So we're going to be in John chapter 1, starting at verse 1. And, and John does something in his early chapters very similar to what we saw Mark do. I mentioned when we had that study on Mark that Mark doesn't say anything about the nativity. And I could say the exact same thing about John. John doesn't mention anything in those first couple, couple chapters about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Nothing about the angel Gabriel coming to uh, to Mary or Joseph ahead of time announcing Jesus' birth. Writes nothing about the shepherds or the angels in the fields or placing baby Jesus in a manger. Nothing about the magi coming from the east with gold and frankincense and myrrh. Doesn't mention any of those details. John, like Mark, dives right in to the heart of the story. And John has this beautiful perspective on Jesus' coming. Of the four Gospels, John is the most theological from the very first verse. He evidently, as he was writing his Gospel account much later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke had written their accounts, John was probably 85, 90 years old when he wrote this account. Uh, all the other uh, apostles of Jesus had been killed for their faith. And so here we have John knowing that Matthew and Luke had already done a great job covering the details of the nativity. He takes this very theological approach to Jesus' birth. From the very first verse, John wants us to wrestle with this earth-shattering truth. Jesus is God. From the very first verse, he wants us to understand this. Jesus is God. Not simply sent from God. Not simply standing beside God in heaven. But He Himself is God. So when Jesus was born on that very first Christmas, God had come down. Amen? God came down. Jesus was God in the flesh. And the world would never be the same. So we're in John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Say Amen if you're there. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without, without Him nothing was made that has been made. We're going to stop there. Would you pray with me? Father, this is Your Word, and it is very deep today. Lord, help us to plunge the depth of the truths in John 1 today. And be changed as a result of it. Lord, speak to us through Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. This is such a powerful start to a book. You know, we could spend literally the rest of our lives just studying and meditating on and, and plunging the depths of these simple three verses that start John chapter 1. 
without ever going on to verse 4, it could take us a lifetime to try to wrap our minds around these first three verses. They are that deep. I'm going to break this apart and and look at these three verses, one phrase at a time, and and let's at least begin to plunge the depths of the the meaning of these verses. First of all, John says from the get-go, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning of what? Well, for those of you familiar with the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, you'll notice that these first few verses of John chapter 1 in a lot of ways mirror the first few verses of Genesis chapter 1. And I'm sure that was no accident. It was intentional. John wanted anyone who was familiar with the first book of the Bible to see some similarities as he began to tell the story of Jesus' coming. And so there's these similarities in the beginning was the word, John says. The very first phrase in the Bible in Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's clear in Genesis 1.1 that the beginning refers to the beginning of the universe, the beginning of time, the, the beginning of energy, the beginning of matter existing in the universe. Before there was ever a, a planet Earth, before there was ever a moon, before there was ever a single star in the universe, before there was ever even a single-celled organism, before all of that was created, there was God. God existed before the beginning of the universe. And it was God who created the heavens and the earth. That's the very first message that the Bible communicates to us. In the very beginning, there was God. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 33:6, "By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of your mouth." So it's really interesting in the Old Testament as we study God's Word, it becomes clear that the Jewish people believed that God spoke the universe into existence. God's Word, sometimes it's translated God's wisdom or God's logic, it comes forth from God and it is that Word, it is that logic, it is that wisdom that creates the universe. So try to put on a Jewish thinking cap right now. If you are reading John 1 for the first time 2,000 years ago, and you had been trained by uh, the normal Jewish teachers of that day, they believed, according to verses like Psalm 33:6, that this word helped create the universe, this logic of God. And it's really interesting that this word of this logic of God, they believed, the Jews did, that it was somehow separate from God. So their understanding of the Word of God was much different than ours is. They believed this Word was separate from God. In fact, they believed that God's Word, God's wisdom, was a sort of force that was created by God. Not force as in the Star Wars sense, that you know, a force that somehow binds atoms together. It was a force in the sense of something created by God that He used as a tool to carry forth His act of creation. Some sort of force that kind of radiates from God and and carries out His bidding. I have trouble understanding what the Jews had in mind when they described it this way, but that's basically what they believed. Now listen to what Solomon writes about this word or this wisdom in Proverbs 8.22-30. The Lord brought me forth, referring to wisdom, the Lord brought forth wisdom as the first of His works. 
Before his deeds of old, I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. When there were no oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep. Then I was the craftsman at his side. What a strange thing to say. It really boiled down to this for the the Jews in Jesus' day. They believed that God created His Word, that God created His logic, that God created somehow His reason before the beginning of time. And so, when it says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the Jewish people understood it this way. Before Genesis 1-1, God had created His Word. And so when Genesis 1-1 begins, He and His Word were together somehow side by side. And God orders His Word, His logic, His wisdom to carry forth the work of creation and create everything that we read about in Genesis chapter 1. That sounds a little weird, doesn't it? But it was somehow separate from God. It was somehow created by God. And so, hang on with me. As those Jewish readers are reading John 1.1, phrase by phrase, for the first two-thirds of the verse, they would be completely on the same page as John as he was writing it. That first phrase, in the beginning was the Word. The Jewish reader would have said, absolutely. We believe the same thing. In the beginning of time, God's Word already existed because He had created it before the beginning of time. The second phrase, the Word was with God. They would nod in agreement. Absolutely, the Word was with God. Because God created it. It was there ready to carry out His bidding. But then the final phrase of verse 1 in John 1, and the Word was God. That little phrase at the end of verse 1 absolutely blew the roofs off of Jews' theology in Jesus' day. Wait a minute. With God, but also was God. By the way, it also, that little phrase, the word was God, is like a WMD underneath the whole theology of the Jehovah's Witness church today. The Jehovah's Witnesses have created a new translation of the Bible for a very good reason. They didn't like John 1.1 and the other verses that make it clear that Jesus is God. And so what they've done with their translations, referred to as the new world translation. I don't ever urge anyone to throw a Bible away, but if you ever get a new world translation, you have my full permission to drop that in the trash can or use it as kindling in your, in your fire at home. Because what they do in other places as well, but particularly here in John 1 in that new world translation, they do something that the original Greek language does not support at all. They translate it, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a, little g, God. It's not what it says at all. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John wants his readers to know that the Word of God was not some abstract, created force that's fuel for a George Lucas to come up with the original Star Wars trilogy. He wants them to know that it is not some abstract, created force. The Word of God was not a force at all. The Word was a person. 
And the Word was not a creation of God. Yes, the Word was with the Creator, but at the same time, the Word was the Creator. And so John writes in verse 3, Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Notice, he doesn't refer to the force as an it. It's a he. It's a him. Through Him all things were made. Unlike any of the other Gospel writers, John pushes our thinking caps to the limit in just three short verses. It's like a a mind-blowing notion that the Word of God could at the same time be with God and be God. From the very first verse, John acknowledges two of the three members of the Trinity. From the very first verse, he's mentioning that the Father is God and the Son is God. And a few verses later in the chapter, he'll mention the Holy Spirit for the first time and make it clear that the Holy Spirit is also God. So from the very first chapter of the book of John, he's talking about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together in the Godhead. John's perspective on the first Christmas is deeply theological. Wouldn't you agree? He doesn't mince words. He doesn't mess around. Before space and time began, he wants us to understand that Jesus Christ existed as the Word of God. He was with the Father, who is rightly called God, but Jesus Himself is also rightly called God. Both the Father and the Son are part of God. And catch this, Jesus is the part of God who came down to earth as God's Word in the flesh. I like how... Bible commentary Warren Wearsby explains this. He says it this way, Much as our words reveal to others our hearts and minds, so Jesus Christ is God's Word to reveal His heart and mind to us. Jesus said, He who has seen Me has seen the Father. I like that. That's an explanation that makes sense to me. Whenever I'm speaking, I'm revealing my heart and mind to those who are listening to what I'm saying. Same goes for you. When you speak, you're revealing your heart and mind. You're revealing your thoughts. You're revealing your feelings. You're revealing your opinions on things. And in much the same way as Jesus comes down, He is expressing the heart and mind of God. How many times have we heard people say, you know what, I, I-, I wish I could just you know, put my arms around God. I-, I need a God who's tangible. I want God with skin on. And Jesus said, okay. And He came down. Jesus is the heart and mind of God with skin on. Jesus is God's heart and mind. And so we go on from verse 3. Let's pick up in verse 4. Picking up in verse 4, John continues by saying, In Him was life, that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This chapter is so good. 
this is some good, good stuff, don't you think? God is, is sharing with us so many marvelous things about Jesus in these verses. The next thing we discover, not only is Jesus the Word of God, He was the Word, He still is the Word, we also discover in verse 4 that the Word of God is our life. The Word of God is our life. Life is a common theme in, in the book of John. John uses the word life 36 times. He uses that word life more than any other writer in the New Testament. And whenever someone writes a book of the Bible and they use the same word over and over and over again, there's a reason for that. Life is one of his themes. And here's something interesting. Biologists will tell us that there are four necessities for life. Number one is sunlight. Without the sun, there would be no life on earth. Do you agree? Secondly, we have air. Without oxygen, there would be no life. Thirdly, there is water. Water has to exist in order for life to exist. And fourth, you've got food. And so you've got these four things that are are pillars of supporting life. You've got sunlight, and you've got air, and water, and food. These are all essentials to support physical life here on earth. And guess what? Within the book of John, Jesus reveals that when it comes to our spiritual lives, Jesus is all four of these essentials. One by one, John tackles these in his gospel account. For instance, in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus reveals that He is the light of the world. Jesus is the Son of God, right? The Son of God is the light of the world. Son, light, get it? Jesus wants us to know that He is this first essential of life. He is our light, just as we depend on the light from the sun to live physically. Every person is dependent upon the light of Jesus Christ to be sustained spiritually. And then in John chapter 20, verse 22, Jesus breathes on His disciples and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. And so His breath, or the air that's emanating from Him, His breath, His air, is like oxygen to any physical living being. Jesus is our heir. John chapter 4, Jesus tells the woman at the well that He Himself will bring living water. And the one who drinks this living water will never be thirsty again. So Jesus alone quenches our spiritual thirst, doesn't He? And what about food? Well, in John 6.35, Jesus says that He is the bread of life. The bread of life. So there you have it. The Word of God, Jesus, is life. In every sense of the word, He is life. He is the one that created physical life, so He created and sustains our physical bodies, and He gives life to our spirits. He lights our way out of spiritual darkness. He breathes life into our spirits. He quenches our spiritual thirst, and He feeds our hungry souls. It seems like Jesus is all four essentials of life all wrapped up into one, isn't He? Imagine, from a physical standpoint, if the sun and oxygen and food, and clean water were all somehow rolled into one. That gives us a little taste of Jesus Christ in the spiritual realm. He is all four rolled into one. But it doesn't stop there. In verse 12, you won't find these words exactly, but it's my best attempt to summarize what John is sharing in verse 12. The Word of God is our adoption agent. The Word of God is our adoption agent. The Word of God isn't only our Creator. The Word of God isn't only God. 
The Word of God isn't only our life. He's also our adoption agent. Take another look at verses 10 through 13 here in chapter 1. He says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, catch this, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of husband's will, but born of God. More than any of the other gospel writers, early on, John highlights that Jesus was rejected by most people. Yes, Jesus created the world, so creation, creation, everything that He created, rightly belonged to Him. But even so, He came into the world and most of the world didn't receive Him. Most people didn't recognize Him as the Word of God. Most people didn't recognize Him as the Creator. So when given the choice of whether to accept Jesus, the Word of God, or reject Jesus, the Word of God, most people back then chose to reject Him. Most people today choose to reject Him. Therefore, Jesus makes it clear that the few that do choose to accept Him, He wants them to know, without a doubt, He gives them the right to become children of God. Therefore, Jesus, the Word of God, is our spiritual adoption agent. Ever thought of Him that way? He's our spiritual adoption agent. If you ever want to be a part of God's family, your only hope is through Jesus. If He doesn't place you in God's family, you ain't getting there. I want to take a moment and kind of counter something that's very commonly said in our culture today, even by many Christians. Many will say, you know what? We need to make sure that we're combating racism, we need to make sure we're combating sexism. We've got to make sure that we're not discriminating against people. We've got to make sure we're doing all of this because, after all, we are all children of God. And we nod our heads in agreement. Now, the motivation for making that final statement most times is really good. Should we as Christians combat racism? Absolutely. Should we stop the male chauvinists for being totalitarian dictators in their home? I think so. Should we fight to promote people of all ethnic groups and all ages and all whatever because they were created by God and God loves every person on this planet? Absolutely. But make no mistake about it, most people on this planet are not children of God. We have to draw a distinction if we want to be biblically accurate. It's accurate to say every single person on the planet is a creation of God. But God's Word makes it clear that it's not until someone submits their life to Jesus Christ that they are actually adopted into God's family as a child of God. So the next time someone says, after all, aren't we all children of God? If they aren't going to pick you up by the shirt collar and throw you out their door, maybe do a little follow-up to that statement. You know what I've discovered? We're all creations of God. But God sent Jesus Christ to earth on Christmas Day because God wanted us to be also adopted into His family. And Jesus is the only way that you and I can be children of God. Amen? We're all creations, but we're not all children. Let's finish with verses 14 through 18. The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Oh, grace and truth. They came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. Then these five verses are two wonderful words that seem to leap off the page at me. Maybe they did the same for you. These two beautiful words, grace and truth. I read this passage, it seemed to leap off the page. The Word of God is our grace and truth. One of the most wonderful words in the English language, I think, is that word grace. Isn't that a beautiful word? Make sure if you're hopping from church to church trying to find that church home, make sure you find a church that teaches all of God's Word. You want to make sure that church talks about sin, that it talks about judgment. But please don't pick a church that only talks about sin and judgment. Because it's missing a big, big part of God's Word if it does. That church must also speak about the grace and love of God. The grace of God is such a beautiful message in the New Testament. It's one of the most wonderful words in the English language. It's one thing for God to show us mercy. Withholding the punishment of hell that we rightly deserve. That's beautiful mercy. But it's quite another thing for God to say not only... Am I not going to send you to hell to get your just punishment for your sin? I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you the gift of heaven. I'm going to give you eternal life, peace, and joy in my presence forever and ever. That's grace. It's one thing for Jesus to rescue us from hell, but to give us the gift of heaven after all we've done to rebel against God and defy His commands and turn our backs on Him, to be able to go to heaven after all of that, that's nothing short of grace. That's grace. To be allowed to be in a relationship with God after we've spit in His face, that's grace. To be given an opportunity to love Him and worship Him and serve Him, what an honor, that's grace. To be blessed this Christmas in so many ways and to have made it through the end of this year that for many of us was pretty tough, that's grace. Jesus is full of grace and He brought it to us on Christmas. And as Jesus reiterates in John 14, 6, He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus, the Word of God, is truth. If you want to know the truth about why you're here on earth, the answers you seek are found in the Word of God in Jesus. If you want to know the truth about where you stand with God right now, the truth is found in the Word of God. It's found in Jesus. If you want to know the truth about how your broken relationship with God can be patched up, that truth is found in the Word of God. It's found in Jesus. If you want to know how you can know for sure that when you die, you'll get to go to heaven, that truth is found in the Word of God. It's found in Jesus because Jesus is the truth. Amen? He's the truth. So what is John's perspective on the first Christmas? It's this. Jesus is the Word of God who created all the heavens and the earth. He is our life. He is our light and the source of all grace and truth. Most people won't recognize or receive this truth, but for each who does, he or she will receive the great blessing of becoming a child of God. What a beautiful gift on Christmas. The gift of becoming a child of God. 
So there you have it. Jesus through the eyes of all four gospel writers. Jesus, according to Matthew, the promised Messiah from the Old Testament, the son of Abraham and the son of David, born to be king of the Jews. Emmanuel, God with us. According to Mark, the very Son of God. According to Luke, the one who came for the old and washed up and the young and unimportant and the dirty and despised. And according to John, Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He is God Himself. The Creator of the universe. Not someone that was appointed by God ahead of creation or created by God ahead of creation. He is God. And Jesus Christ was God coming down. So once again, the most important question of the season isn't, are you ready for Christmas? But are you ready for Jesus? Are you ready for Jesus? Now you know who Jesus is. You know why He came. So what are you going to do with Him? You can choose to reject Him. That's an option. Or you can choose to embrace Him as your Lord and Savior and as the God that He is. That's a much better option, isn't it? And this Christmas, as He gave you His very best gift, won't you reach out and receive it? The gift of salvation. The gift of hope. The gift of purpose. And what a beautiful thing that would be going into 2018, saying, you know what? This is a brand new year. And every single day of this year, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because He came down and I made the decision to embrace that greatest of gifts this Christmas. Would you pray with me? Father, we love You for sending Your Son. Jesus, we love You for coming. And Holy Spirit, we love You for indwelling each believer. Holy Spirit, You're so wonderful in that You call to our mind God's Word when we need it. You comfort us when we're down. You lead us into all truth, letting us know things that are sometimes hard to understand. You open up the the meaning of those deep truths to us. And Father, Son, Holy Spirit, triune God, we know that You've been in this place today, touching our minds and our hearts. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for coming. Draw us unto Yourself. And may we be right with You as we go into Christmas Day tomorrow. If there's anyone here, Lord, who's never put You in charge of their lives, I pray that they would make that decision today. They have the option of rejecting You. They have the free choice to push You aside, but I pray that no one would. Because in eternity, we will look back and that will be our greatest regret if we pushed You aside during these short lives here on earth. Help us to embrace You. Help us to worship You. Help us to follow You. Help us to obey You. Thank You for coming, Jesus. May we go for You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Stand right now.